Now, um, we are up to week seven of our uh, Light in the Darkness sermon series. Week seven already. How quickly it has moved on. And I'm, I'm hoping that you've appreciated it as, as, as much as we have as we've um, spent a bit of time in the Gospel of, of John and specifically stories in the Gospel of John that aren't found in other Gospels. And so that's one of the unique things we're finding in all of this is there's some really powerful stories um, within the Gospel of John. And um, we've been talking over the last few weeks, whether it's um, um, living water or whether it's the bread of life or whether it's the, the good shepherd, um, we're coming into another unique story that's only found in the, the Gospel of, of John. And so today we're going to be looking in John uh, 11. And um, I've just titled the sermon Lazarus, but one of the questions I, I want to uh, put up front for us to sort of think about as we look at this story is, have you ever been in a situation that turned out differently than you expected? Have you ever been in a situation that turned out differently than what you expected? So th think about that. Now, also, today, I'm really going to be, I, I guess you could say, almost doing three mini-sermons because as I looked at this passage, and it's, there's, a, there's a fair bit of, of detail, so we won't be covering every detail of the whole story of John chapter 11, right up to verse 44, but I see that there's, there's, there's three different parts to this story. And in, in that regard, I'm uh, going to do three different Bible readings. And I've got three people who are going to come up and bring three different Bible readings. And so the, the heading, I guess you could say, for the, the, the three sermons are a delayed response, the sisters, and an impossible resurrection. That's what I've, I've drawn out of this story in John uh, 11. Now, I'm hoping that you've got a study guide with you. That's not just not for people who are in the, uh, in the growth groups, although a number of our growth groups actually follow along with this sermon. Um, but it's also an opportunity, much of the uh, content that I'm, I'm uh, giving you today uh, is contained within that. So I encourage you to refer back to that um, if you miss anything that we, we talk about today. So we're going to start off and we're going to look at the, the first um, few verses. And I'm going to ask Sarah to come and uh, bring the first reading. Now, the reading you can see up there, John 11, 1 to 8, 14 to 16. And uh, so that will be the first reading. So uh, either just uh, listen to what it won't be up on the screen, but follow in your own Bible. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, John. Yep. So in, obviously, the book of John, one of my favourites, chapter 11, verse through 1 through 8... Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? 
verse, moving forward, verse 14 through 16. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Thank you, Sarah. Now, um, we read in and around this that when uh, Jesus uh, was in Judea, he quite often stayed with uh, Lazarus, Martha and, and Mary. So this is uh, another family, brothers and, and sisters. Now, some of you may go, mm, the name Martha and Mary, that's, that's familiar, isn't it? Have I read about Martha and Mary somewhere else? And you probably remember that you know, Martha is that very practical person, hands-on, um, loves hospitality and doing things for other people. And of course, there's the other, the Mary, the, the sensitive and the devoted person. And we may touch on that, we'll touch on that a, a little bit later, but that's the Mary and the Martha that you've read about in other passages. And as we read here, that these three people, Lazarus, Martha and Mary became very close to Jesus. Jesus loved them, spent time with them. So it's obvious that when Lazarus got sick, they would call on Jesus. They had seen Jesus perform miracles. So it's pretty obvious that if Jesus has performed miracles, they've come to love and trust Jesus and Lazarus gets sick, what do you do? That's pretty obvious. They were confident that this call out would be enough to take care of the situation. If Jesus loves Lazarus, he would do that, would he not? But instead of acting quickly, Jesus just sent a message back. And basically read this now. It's not death, but God's glory. Now, I think that that is, at that time, would have been just about as puzzling as it could have been. Okay, so Lazarus is not going to die, but whatever's going to happen, it's going to give glory to God. Now, let's zero in on a couple of passages here in the verses that we've just read. So look at verse 5 and 6. Verse 5 and 6 of John 11. And we read, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That on the surface seems very un-Jesus-like, doesn't it? Someone who has an obvious need, they ask for Jesus to come quickly because Lazarus is, is quite sick, but Jesus doesn't come straight away. And it doesn't even give a reason that Jesus couldn't come because he had to heal other people or there was other business. It just said that Jesus just stayed. So it... On, on reading that, we can come to the conclusion that Jesus didn't have any other business that was more important than healing Lazarus. He just stayed where he was. Do, can you get a little bit unsettled by that? It can appear quite unsettling, can it? Mm. Now, let's go down to verse 14 and 15, another unsettling passage. Um, so then he told them plainly, this is Jesus, Lazarus is dead. 
And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Boy, oh boy, if I wasn't unsaved before, what do you take out of that? He says, Jesus, Jesus says that Lazarus is not going to die, but then he says he is dead. Sorry about that. I got caught up. I mean, and, and to the point of saying, I'm actually glad that I wasn't there. At, at first read, this becomes a very, very awkward passage to read. It just doesn't make sense. He knew what was going to happen, and he knew that what would happen would hurt them. If by him delaying coming allowed Lazarus to die, he would know that Martha and Mary would be in a world of grief and hurt and disappointment. Yes? But he didn't go. This would shake them to their core. It would test their faith. They would struggle to understand. But here it is, he says, it's, it's best for them. Now, I'm, I'm hoping this morning that this may resonate with you. Because I know for sure that there would be people here who would have been shaken to the core and asked the question, where is God? Where is Jesus when I need him most? And, and, and this story, I think, could, could really hit home. Jesus was willing to put them through pain and anguish for their own good. I want to propose a statement. It's written in your study guide, and I encourage you to reflect on it, not just right now, well, now, but also reflect on it later. And this statement is this. When you pray and God does not seem to answer, he has something greater in mind than you do. I want you to think about that. When you pray and God does not seem to answer, he has something greater in mind than you do. I would suggest that a lot of the time when we are in a world of hurt, when our life seems to be out of control and it appears that God doesn't immediately answer our prayer, he's delaying, he's holding back, it's like he's in another town and our world is falling apart, we can go, it's obvious that God doesn't love me. Why? Because I'm hurting. And if I'm hurting, um, God's got to do something about it. And it seems here in this passage that Jesus delays that. And for some reason that we can't fully understand will allow us to go through a really dark and disappointing time in order to do something greater in mind than what we initially think. And I, I would hope that there would be a few people here who have been Christians for a long while can, can look back on their life and can see that there were times, there were times, very, very difficult and dark times, and, and times when we would pray and pray and pray and pray, and it just seemed like God was somewhere else. But we can look back on that now, maybe years, maybe even decades later, and go, I'm a different person because of that. I've, I've learnt to persevere. I've learnt to wait. I've, I've learnt just to trust in God, even though I don't see the outcome. Yes? 
times in your life. And, and I'm sure that as you, you read and reflect on this passage, some, some of you are resonating with this because of that very uh, circumstance in your own life. What does God have in mind? Is he willing to remain silent for a while in order to do something greater later? And of course, many of you would know the uh, result of this, this story, so there's, there's no, going to be no surprises here. So after two more days of waiting, Jesus and the disciples head off to Bethany. Two, two more days. Last time they were there um, in Bethany, the Jews tried to stone them. And so that's why can you, you read where Thomas says, well, let's go back. We might as well die together. If, if Lazarus is dead and we go back to Bethany, they're probably going to stone us because we're in trouble now. And so we'll all be dead. And so why don't we all just go there to die? So that's the reference for Thomas. Let's go and die with Lazarus. Now, think about this for a moment. Jesus stayed for two days after he got the message that Lazarus was sick. When they arrived, Lazarus had been dead for four days. Now, therefore, the messenger took one day to travel to Jesus. Do your maths. Jesus took a day to travel one day back to Bethany. So therefore, Lazarus must have died soon after the messenger came to Jesus in the first place. Soon after. So when Jesus said, sickness is not the end... In verse 4, Lazarus was already dead. So he says, sickness is not going to, death is not going to be the outcome. So was Jesus, um, was, was he mistaken? Was he not aware of what was going on? Because Lazarus was already passed away. And so on the surface, it looks like Jesus is not in charge. But in the reality, he had a different perspective. A delayed response. And boy, oh boy, can that frustrate us when we're in a deep and dark moment in life and it just seems like God is just holding back. Yeah. Let's go on to the next part of this story. And I'm going to ask Cassandra to come and bring us the next part of this story. And we're going to be reading here from here. The passage is up there, John 11. We're going to be looking at verses 20 and 27, and then later on, 32 to 37. 20 to 27. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Verse 32 to 37. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping 
and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Thank you, Cassandra. Now, I've titled this part of the, the, the sermon, The Sisters. So it revolves here around Martha and, and Mary. And as I've said, we, we first meet Martha and Mary in, in Luke 10. So if you, if you want to cross-reference, Luke 10, um, 38 to 42. You know that, you know that story. It's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful story in one way that you've got Martha and Mary. Jesus comes there to, to, to meet with them. And where's Martha? In the kitchen. Busy, busy, busy. I'm gonna, we've got a special guest. Busy, busy. I'm going to cook and we're going to make a really, really special meal. Where's, where's Mary? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus just listening. You know, and of course, then this argument ensures and Martha goes, well, hang on, I need help in the kitchen. And Mary's going, well, I just want to listen to Jesus and bang, bang, bang. Sisters, hey? That's what can happen. Now, we often see Martha as harsh and domineering and, and, and Mary is this, this spiritual person. But I think this kind of oversimplifies uh, their personalities. After Lazarus, in fact, after this very passage, after Lazarus is, is raised... We read again that where's Martha? She's back in the kitchen. She's cooking again. She's serving food. And also we read, and it's picked up at the first part of this passage, that there's another part of that story where, where in John chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, Mary, this sensitive one, is at the feet of Jesus, pouring this really expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. I mean, we, we see all of this both love Jesus and I think even though you know we, we can we can be harsh on one and on the other these are just different personalities coming into play for people who love Jesus and seek to express their love in different ways but here it is here in in verse 20 of John 11 Martha's the one the practical one who goes she hears that Jesus is on his way she's not going to wait here at the at, in Bethany she goes out on the road to meet him on the way and she's heading out and and i want to just look at these verses very carefully and comment on them we get to verse 21 and martha says lord if you had been here my brother would not have died now what do you see what what emotion what do you see in in martha's statement here she's she's hurt She's hurt, isn't she? Um, she's disappointed. Where, where were you? We, we sent out a message days ago. Where were you? I'm, I'm really hurt. It's, it's almost, there's an accusation there. This is, this is your fault, Jesus, because if you'd got here earlier, you could have healed him and everything would be okay. I thought I knew Jesus better. But you know what? If we'd finished at that point there, we would have gone, Martha, Martha, Martha. Let's go on to the second, the next verse. She follows it up by saying, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. 
So in the midst of this, this pain, this grief, this accusation and this disappointment, Martha's going, there's this little glimmer, this little glimmer of faith that goes, but I still want to trust you. I still want to trust you. What does that mean for us? Times when we've just been so disappointed. We thought we knew God better. We prayed and prayed. We, we hoped and hoped. We, we read, we worshipped, we whatever. And we were disappointed, but we're still going to trust. Now, Jesus follows this on in verse 23. And he says, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Oh, your brother will rise again. And here is the response. Jesus knows what he's about to do, even if Martha has no idea. Now, here's a fascinating little side quip that I picked up for the first time. Martha comes, comes back to him and says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, Jesus is, is talking here, and Martha's coming back here. Jesus saying, you know... Um, your brother will rise again. And Martha going, yeah, of course, because, you know, back at the last days, you know, everyone will be resurrected again and we'll join together in, in heaven. So, yeah, I, I get that. They're, they're on two different planes here. Have, have you ever been in a conversation with people and you think you know what you're saying in that conversation and they think they know what you're saying in that conversation, but they're saying something completely different? It's a bit like someone's... Someone talking about who won the footy yesterday. Meanwhile, we're thinking about an election. You know, it's, it's that sort of stuff. We're just, we're just missing. We're missing it all. Martha is still trying to work this out, taking Jesus' words as a simple comfort. And to a certain extent, she's right. I know that he will rise again at the resurrection on the last day because I, I don't want to burst your balloon or anything, but Lazarus did die later on. I'm assuming. They don't record that. I mean, but... Um, otherwise, we'd have a 2,000-year-old Lazarus walking around, you know? So he, he did die, so um, he will come again, Jesus, uh, uh, in the resurrection on the last day. So she's being reminded of eternal life. And it's like what we hear at a, at a Christian funeral, and that's, that's fine. Martha thinks this is what's going to be happening. She thinks Jesus has come to lead a funeral, because what else could happen? Here's where it says, verse 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, Martha mentions the resurrection on, in the last days, but Jesus connects those dots together. He is testing her faith. And up until this point, she has trusted him as the son of God. Now, that's a particular term for Jesus, Son of God. Now he's challenging her to trust him as the Lord of life, the resurrection and the life. And this is a new term. He's saying, I am the resurrection and the life, even in the face of death. Now, here's the interesting thing. She comes, comes back to him in verse 27, and she says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Notice she doesn't mention, Yes, I believe you're the resurrection and the life. She says, I... I still believe you. This whole resurrection and the life, I'm still trying to get my head around, but I, I'm, I'm trusting you. This is a whole new concept for me. Help me out. So she doesn't say, I believe you are the resurrection. She doesn't fully understand. 
I think the vital point here is for Martha. She's hurt. She's grieving. She's disappointed. But she's got this mustard seed of faith. You know what I'm saying? How much faith do we need? Just, just a mustard seed. Do we have to have it all figured out? No. But we need to be in the forward position of going, I don't get it, but I still trust you. And it's as if Jesus says, well, that's enough. I can work with a mustard seed of faith. Now, during this conversation, Mary's back in the house and eventually Mary and others get to Jesus. So Mary's made her way over there. Now, do you notice that... Um, she starts with exactly the same words as Martha. If you were here, this wouldn't have happened. Jesus got to you know, reply to the same question again. But we see what happens here in the story is this where, where the grief really kicks in. Mary starts weeping. No doubt just completely overcome with grief. She's, she's confronted now with, with Jesus, whom she hoped would be the one who would stop this from happening. Overcome with grief, she starts crying. And at this point, we see that Jesus wept. Now, sh shortest verse they say in, in the Bible, Jesus wept. And we can read into it a number of different things. Is it just a couple of little tears that ran from his, from his eyes down to his cheek? Or if it's wept, he cried. He grieved. He was in there with Mary as she was grieving and crying and weeping. Jesus was there alongside her, weeping with her. Not just, oh, I better make this up and make it, you know, I, I want to sort of pretend that I'm grieving it's going to happen. No, it doesn't give any indication of this. Jesus is in there grieving and weeping with them. And now this only adds to the confusion because there's people looking at this going, hang on, um, we're looking at this situation. We, we know that Jesus loved Lazarus and yet here's Lazarus dead. Jesus is now in grief and yet he's healed other people. Why couldn't he heal Lazarus? What's going on here? I think there's something really powerful happening here and I've got another statement to um, to bring to a, a climax this second part of the sermonette. And that's this. You've got it in your study guide up on the screen. It's okay to grieve, to struggle, to feel loss. Jesus joins us in our grief, even at our darkest times. I think the problem is too often we see Jesus as Mr. Fix-It. And that's basically what we refer to him as because we go to prayer and go, Jesus, we want you to fix this because I don't want to grieve. I don't want to go through pain. I don't want to be in discomfort. So I'm asking you to fix it. Here in this situation here, Jesus doesn't gloss over and go, oh, oh no, sorry, everything's okay. Guess what? I'm going I'm to raise Lazarus from the dead. No, he enters into their grief. As it... And he, he doesn't just gloss over it as if it didn't matter. Here's the point. He understands grief. He entered into it. And even though he is the resurrection, he validates loss and grief. And here's the comfort in all of this, is that if you're grieving, if you're experiencing loss, 
if, if life has overcome you and, and all you can do is just um, grieve the loss of something precious to you, you can be comforted by knowing that Jesus is alongside you grieving and weeping with you. He cares. He's not just Mr. Fix-It over on the side there waiting for, you know, to be the problem solver. He's entering into the journey with us. And I don't know how long it took from the time that Jesus arrived to the time he, he, he rose Lazarus from the dead, but there was a time when he just wanted to be present with them in their grief. And in this, it gives a clear indication of the compassion that Jesus had for us. What does it mean for us? Jesus doesn't always just fix things. He takes us on a journey and he walks with us. And it's in some of the darkest periods of our life that sometimes we look back and we realize they're the most tangible things that we sense that Jesus was with us at that time. And they are very, very precious moments, even though they're also very painful. I'm now going to move to the, the last part of uh, this um, passage. And I've titled this The Impossible Resurrection. And we're going to read from John uh, 11, verses 38 to 44. And I think Valerie, is Valerie here? She's going to read. Thank you, Valerie. 38 to 44. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been in there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you would always hear me, but I said this for your benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave, grave clothes and let him go. Thank you, Valerie. What a great climax to this, this story. So Jesus, with this crowd around him, comes to the tomb and orders the stone to be removed. Now, this would have been a very confronting scene. Four days, Lazarus had been dead. So there's the concern about just the facing death, the smell of death. And the other thing that we probably need to be aware of, four days, the Jews had this belief that when a person died, the spirit stayed around the body for three days and then departed. That was their, their belief. So after three days, a person was properly dead, so to speak. So is it, is it just a coincidence that Lazarus had been, die, had been dead four days? It almost demonstrates the absolute control Jesus had over life and death. Through all of this, Jesus is saying, trust me. Now, I want to focus now on the prayer of Jesus at this moment. And I'm going to read it out again. And I want you to think about this is the prayer Jesus prayed immediately before Lazarus rose from the dead. Father, I thank you that you have, have heard me. 
I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. That's, that's the prayer. Now, have a look at that. Does that look like a healing prayer? Does it, does it look like a resurrection prayer? Want to raise somebody from the dead? Does, does it look like that? What's going on here? You would have thought that Jesus would have, you know, I'm going to pray that you would, you know, blah, blah. But it's not. And it's almost like there's no mention of Lazarus, death, life or anything. He's, he's talking about whatever's going to happen is going to happen for the people there. The, the prayer is for, not for Lazarus, but for the people the, the prayer, to a large extent, as we read this passage and we enter into this story, the prayer is for us that we may believe in who Christ is. That's essentially what the prayer is. Jesus has complete confidence. He knows God's will. He knows his ability. And he simply thanks God. And through that prayer, for the listeners, for the readers, for all people. And to a certain extent, I think it, it challenges us too that how often we, we pray for things, things that we already know. You know, we already know what God has called us to do, but we keep delaying it by praying, God, show me again, show me what to do. You know, show me through your word. And God says, well, I've already shown you. Well, show me again, you know. And really, he's given us some pretty clear um, uh, commands and we need to walk in that confidence of who we are in Christ um, rather than delaying what already he's called us to do. And of course, as we read in here, the outcome is that Lazarus is resurrected and trusted Jesus when all seemed lost. So I'm going to leave with one more statement that I ask you to reflect on, and that is this statement here. Trust Jesus in spite of all apparent evidence to the contrary. Do you agree with that statement? Do you, do you disagree? And to a large extent, one of the great things about growth groups is you can gather together as a growth group and talk about that. Can we trust Jesus in spite of all the apparent evidence to the contrary? Because this story turned out completely different to what Martha and Mary anticipated. A negative event as Lazarus's death turned out to a positive example of Jesus' power over death. And it was for his glory. I want us just to um, take away this passage today and, and ask Jesus to speak to us about our own life and our own life circumstances. As we consider that when we pray and God does not seem to answer, that he has something greater in mind than we do. Can we believe that? And that it's okay to grieve, to struggle and to feel loss because Jesus joins us in our grief, even in our darkest times. And that we can trust Jesus in spite of all the apparent evidence to the contrary. So can I ask you to join with me in, in prayer? In the light of, of this amazing story, 
amazing story of, of death and, and life, of disappointment and, and hope, of grief, of weeping, and then of great joy. We say, Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this story, this story that speaks to us on so many levels. And Heavenly Father, we, we recognize that we're, there have been times when we have been disappointed with you. We may not have said that out loud, but we've been disappointed with you because you haven't answered our prayers the way that we hoped you would. And you've, you've kind of left us hanging. And so Heavenly Father, we want to confess that we have had that, that disappointment, that, that hurt, But we also recognize, Heavenly Father, that you are complete in your knowledge and understanding and we're not. And so whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, we just want to trust you. We don't completely get what's going on. We don't get where, why life is so difficult and, and, and things can be so dark and, and life can just be so overwhelming. But in the midst of all of those difficult times, we just, we just trust you. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us the absolute confidence to know that when we're crying, when we're grieving, when we're going through these really low times, you're not standing off on the side, indifferent, separated, more concerned about other things than us. We have the confidence to know that you are right there with us. If we're crying, you're, you're crying. If... if if we're down, you're down there with us. You're work, walking that journey with us, whatever we're going through. G give us that, the confidence of that. And Heavenly Father, we just want to trust you for the outcome, whatever that may be. We don't want to dictate to you how the outcome should be because we know if we dictate the outcome it will really only be for our own comfort and it will only be for our, our own pleasure but ultimately what we want the outcome is for your glory is what we read here in, in, in John 11 your glory which your glory can be found in so many amazing and various ways so we don't want to dictate to you our prayer at the moment we just say in our current circumstances, we, we trust you. We know that you are with us and we trust the outcome to you in your time and in your way. And we, with our mustard seed of faith, we just hang on to you. All glory goes to you. And we pray this now in Jesus' name.